Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Mary Alice and I am one of the ministers here at Calvary. If you are new to Calvary, we are really glad you're here and we want you to know that you are welcome here. You will need a worship folder and one of the hymnals in front of you to guide you in worship today. And also, we would be honored for the opportunity to follow up with you later this week by email or phone to get to know you better. One way that can happen is if you would be willing to fill out the visitor card in your pews and place it in the offering plate later in the service. That's also a way that you can ask for more information about different ministries here at Calvary or let us know how we can be praying for you and with you in the coming week. Well, today we continue our worship series based on the idea that what the world needs now is love. Is the song true that love is the only thing that there is just too little of? It certainly seems that way if we look around the world today. And yet the Bible is filled with message after message about God's never-ending love for us. God's love never fails. God's love endures forever. God is abounding in love. The earth is filled with God's love. God's unfailing love for us will not be shaken. And the list goes on and on. If we hold these sacred words to be true, and if we believe that the earth is already full of God's love, then perhaps what the world needs now is us. It is because of God's uncontainable, indescribable, unimaginable love for us that you and I are then called to love one another. And what the world needs now is that. And so let us worship wholeheartedly as we come before the God whose love endures forever. Forest, hill and mountain, flowery meadow. 
depth of happy rest. Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other, lift us to the joy divine. Lord, host, join the happy chorus which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us, brother, love finds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us onward in the triumph song of life. To our God who is patient, to our God who is kind, to our God who is humble, truthful, and unfailing, we come to this place to worship and draw near to you. May we cast away our distractions and burdens so that we may experience your presence more fully. May we open our ears to hear your word and respond. Yes, Lord, let it be. God who is love, thank you for first loving us. Redefine for us what it means to love. Teach us to love you more faithfully, and in turn, may your love bind us together with our neighbors. We are in need of your healing love now as much as ever. Amen.
A reading from the Gospel of Mark. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God, and that no one dared to ask him any question. A reading from 1 Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God for the people of God.
took a breath, your breath breathed life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Why you won't tear down, 
and girls, would you join us here at the front for the children's time? Thank you. Thank you for coming up. We have some special guests today to share with us. I'd like to introduce you to some of our neighbors. These are neighbors that are from far, far away countries, but we st they're still our neighbors. This is Sarah, and Sarah is from China. Yeah, this is Raphael, and Raphael is from Italy. And this is Eric, and Eric is from Ghana. And these are all our neighbors that are going to share with us today. The first question that I'm going to ask them is, how has someone been a neighbor to you? How have they loved you? Okay, so <laughs> okay. Um, coming into this country, United States, I was coming here on the back of a lot of stories, um, stories of racism, stories of hatred, stories of people not liking anybody nearer, but... When I got here, um, I received a love which I cannot even, you know, ex explain. You know, the Baylor family really took me in, opened their arms to me, the Dr. Bradley's family, um, the Calvary family, and it's made me, you know, just feel so, so different and so loved and much more welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. Sarah, how have you experienced someone being a neighbor to you? Uh, I've... I've received a lot of hope since I've been here. Um, I live with, with an American girl, and her name is Audrey Johnson. She's a, uh, she's a member in this church. And um, since I've been here, uh, she showed me around and helped me God things I need in my life. And also my classmate in Baylor, uh, they helped me improve my English and check my papers. And also, um, you know you know what? Uh, my roommate married like two weeks ago. Um, and I was so happy for her wedding. But I got to move to another place. <laughs> Guess who helped me this time? My next door helped me this time. 
The guy lived next door. He asked several of his friends, drove the trunk, moved all my stuff to my new place. I was so relieved at that time. I was so worried at that time because I have big tables, big bears. Oh, I, don't, I really need some people stronger than me. So we, sometimes we do need people help us, right? And I think in, um, I feel in Christ, we really like a big family, right? Thank you, Sarah. How about you, Raphael? Well, when I got here last year, I met Dr. Radley and his wife, and they invited me to come here at Calvary, and then they invited me to join the choir. So <laughs> I, I think I was very lucky because I made new friends right away, and well, I stayed here more than I was expected. So this is my fourth semester. I love this place. I feel that I belong here. I feel that I have new friends, very good friends, and I'm very lucky. I'm very happy. How has the fact that others have loved you and been a neighbor to you, how has that uh, made a difference for you, Eric? One significant thing I would say is that um, I've come to understand that the way people or stories actually are painted concerning other people is not always what the situation is. And uh, most of the times when you find yourself in a situation where people extend their, their love towards you, you kind of like feel much more comfortable. One thing which it's really changed in my life is the fact that, you know, when I came, I was more timid because this is a culture I've not been exposed to, but I've become more, I've moved from being shy to much more confident. Mm. I've been, I've, I've moved from being, you know, all by myself to like opening myself up to the people because I, I, I actually realized that these people are not going to harm me. Uh, they want the best for me, and it's really, that's one significant thing which really changed my life, yeah. How about you, Sarah? Uh, since I lived with my roommate, uh, I met all of her family, all of her friends, and they are so friendly, so hopeful. And I just like feel I live in a big family, and uh, I know more about the culture here. And uh, I learned to cook some American food. And I really enjoyed it. <laughs> How about you, Raphael? Well, when I came here, I was excited. But at the same time, I was a little bit concerned because I was away from my family, from my friends. So I started to think, well, will I make new friends? How will I make new friends? And um, will they like me? But then I started to sing with my friends here, and um, although in the beginning I wasn't very good, they did not give up on me. <laughs> <laughs> so they encouraged me, you can do this. So, mm -hmm. Do you all have a question you would like to ask our friends this morning, these neighbors? Anybody have a question? Well, if you don't, I thought it might be fun for us to let them say, won't you be my neighbor in their language from their country? So let's start with Eric. How would you say that in Ghanaian? Mubeo madamfo. 
Yeah. Okay. One more time. Mubeya Madanfo. Okay. Want well, you be my neighbor? How about for Sarah? And how about in Italian? Vorresti essere il mio vicino? Okay. All right, there you have it. Won't you be my neighbor? We're, as you go back to your seats this morning, we're going to sing a song about being a neighbor. And so uh, let's find that song and be ready to sing uh, the new song, okay? All right, thank you, boys and girls.
now gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if you have watched the recent documentary about the life of Fred Rogers, which was actually just on TV last night, you know that the man who originally planned to be a Presbyterian minister instead transformed his ministry into that beloved children's television show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I wonder how many of us in this room grew up watching, or how many of our children grew up watching Mr. Rogers. Let me see a show of hands here. That's pretty significant. Mr. Rogers frequently covered simple topics in his show that were relatable for children, like why they shouldn't be afraid of getting their hair cut, or how they were too large to go down the bathroom drain so they didn't have to worry about that. But Fred Rogers also believed that children could handle more complex topics too, especially if they were addressed in gentle and appropriate ways. And so Mr. Rogers was quite brave in talking with kids about topics like divorce, the assassination of Robert Kennedy, the threat of nuclear war, or the explosion of the space shuttle. In 1968, the same year as the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., Rogers invited his friend, Francoise Clemens, who is an African-American man, to come on the show as a neighborhood police officer. This made Clemens the first black actor to have a reoccurring role on a children's TV show. But there was one scene in particular that Fred and Francoise did together that became groundbreaking. Mr. Rogers was sitting outside of his home one hot day, cooling off his feet in a kiddie pool, and he invited Clemens to come have a seat next to him and to put his feet into the pool too. Now this may not seem significant to us today, but keep in mind this was being filmed around the time of integration, and that included public swimming pools. In fact, it wasn't uncommon for some white people who were upset about what was going on to throw bleach or acid into public swimming pools that had been integrated in retaliation of these efforts. So Mr. Rogers decided to film a scene of a white man and a black man in a pool together for all of his young and not-so-young viewers to see. Clemens said that the pool scene touched him in ways he was not prepared for. He said the icon, Fred Rogers, was not only showing my brown skin in the tub with his white skin as two friends, but as I was getting out of the tub that day, he unexpectedly started to dry my feet. As he was toweling off his friend, Mr. Rogers turned and said to his viewers, sometimes taking a minute like this will really make a difference. Now, while on the surface he was talking about cooling off after a hot day, Clemens knew that Fred Rogers, who never wasted any words, was making a strong statement in that moment. 
This act was later viewed by many as an explicit gesture against racism during an incredibly difficult time in our country. Clemens said he knew after filming that scene that he had discovered a friend for life. As Mr. Rogers once said in an interview with Christianity Today, the underlying message of my show is that if somebody cares about you, it's possible that you'll care about others too. You are special, he said, and so is your neighbor. That part is essential. In other words, the article said, knowing that you are special can lead you to help create a world in which your neighbors know that they are special too. So last week in worship, we talked about the overwhelming nature of God's love for us. So many of us have heard that, God's love, that God loves us. We have read about it. We've sung about it. We've even taught our children about it. But for whatever reason, we just seem to struggle to actually embrace it. And so we asked ourselves this question that I would like for us to continue asking ourselves together throughout this series. If we lived each day truly believing in the depth of God's love for us, how would that change us? How might we show up differently in the world? Now, if you haven't gotten a chance to look at some of people's responses to that question hanging on the hearts around the room, I really encourage you to take a few moments to do so. We did that together as a staff this week and discovered that there are thoughtful and vulnerable and beautiful expressions of what is on all of our hearts together in this place hanging along the walls around us. Many of us said things like, if we really embraced God's love for us, we would be less afraid. We'd be less anxious people. We would show up in the world in more genuine and authentic ways. We would be bold. We would be brave. And we would more fully, more compassionately, and more authentically show up in the ways that we love others. But this week, I'd like to take that a step further and ask, what does that kind of love look like? Now, especially on a week when we see love expressed in valentines and chocolates and nice dinners and pretty flowers, what does it really look like for us to love our neighbor as an expression of the overwhelming love we know God has for us? Now, before you all start to make fun of me for preaching on 1 Corinthians 13 on the week of Valentine's Day, I actually want to make an important point that the original intention of this text is not about a romantic kind of love. After all, 1 Corinthians is a letter not written to a couple, but to a community. And not only that, but it's actually written to a community in crisis a community that is having a very difficult time staying together. And so we can't read 1 Corinthians 13 in isolation of that context. In fact, in the verses leading right up to chapter 13, they're all talking about unity in the body of Christ. And after talking about all the ways in which God empowers us to live in community with one another— 
The last verse of chapter 12, which often gets neglected, says, of all the gifts you could have to serve your community, I will show you a still more excellent way. And that still more excellent way is love. Now, we've probably all heard these weddings, these words at weddings. I have spoken them in officiating weddings. But as we hear them today, I want us to think about the implications they have for us as a church. I want us to hear these words as the Calvary family and to consider the impact that they have on what it means for us to love our neighbors in this place. And so hear these words. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. When I hear this text in terms of loving one's community, I hear it in completely new ways. I hear that this is the kind of love that shows up even when it's hard, even when we might disagree. This is a kind of love that seeks to listen and to genuinely hear where other people are coming from instead of demanding its own way. This is the kind of love that doesn't get irritated. It gets curious. It asks good questions. It doesn't resent people or rule people out because of something they've said or something they've done. Instead of moving away from them, this kind of love moves closer toward them. This is the kind of love that carries us through because it bears all things. This is the kind of love that holds us together because it endures all things. And this is the kind of love that is always expectant about what's coming next because no matter what, it hopes all things. Note that New Testament scholar Christer Stendhal points out that Paul is not teaching about a feel-good kind of love here. He says that this love is not measured in degrees of warmth. Rather, it is measured by how much tension and diversity it can take. It is measured by its elasticity, its capacity not to insist on its own way, as does knowledge and other things when they become the touchstones of our spirituality. But love is different. That's why love builds up, and that is why it is the one thing without which none of the other things will last. Stendhal goes on to say that the church has often missed that point. Christians know that they are supposed to love, and by that they often mean having warm feelings for others. 
And therefore, we consider it shameful or improper to have tensions or conflicts in the church. And the easiest way to try to avoid such things is to gather like-minded people who are like-looking and likable, and then we will feel loving. But Paul's point here is the opposite. The gift of love makes diversity, tension, and even conflict possible without rupturing the whole. Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Friends, perhaps what the church needs now and what the world needs now is that. If we only view loving our neighbor as loving the person who looks like us, thinks like us, believes like us, and lives like us, then we have drawn a very small circle around the group of people that we call our neighbors. And likewise, if we try to build a church around the people who look like us, think like us, believe like us, and live like us, then we've drawn a very small circle around what it looks like to be the family of God in this place. Don't you think that God calls us to live with an even greater love than that? A love that is so long and so wide and so high and so deep that try as we might, we can never completely grasp it or comprehend it. Yes, this is the love God has for us, but it's the same love God calls us to then share with one another. A man named Paul Baxley was recently named the executive coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship which is the larger body of churches with whom Calvary partners in mission and ministry. And he said in a meeting once that one of the most significant challenges facing our fellowship is this. How will we live together in the presence of diversity that reflects the imagination of an adventurous God? It begins, he says, with cultivating beloved community together. In other words, if we're not loving one another within our fellowship, how can we even begin to take that love to the world? And I believe the same is true for us, Calvary. If we're not really seeking to live in beloved community in this place, if we're not actively taking steps to welcome and get to know new people, to lean in more closely even when people express differing views, to invest in relationships with new people that go well beyond our Sunday morning times together, if we're not being intentional to widen our circle of love for our neighbors in this place, how will we ever begin to widen our circle of love for our neighbors across the street and around our world? It begins with a love that is elastic, a love that never gets comfortable in one place for too long, but keeps stretching higher and longer and wider and deeper. Now, I certainly don't want to give a Pollyanna-type statement that any of this work is easy. It's not. It's messy. It's hard. There certainly are not easy answers to what this looks like for us as we make our way forward together. But you see, I think the church at Corinth was right there. 
They were trying to figure out how to stay together in the midst of diversity and fractions and disagreements within their own community. That's why they were reaching out to Paul for help. And the best answer that Paul could give them, the most excellent way forward that he could possibly see for them, is love. Isn't that exactly what Jesus says is the most important commandment for us to follow? To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. In Mark's gospel, he says that when we do this, we are not far off from the kingdom of God. After Mr. Rogers' death, Francois Clemens shared the following story. He said, I'll never forget one day that I was watching Fred film a session. And you know how at the end of the program, he takes his sneakers off, hangs up his sweater and says, you make every day a special day just by being you. And I like you just the way you are. Well, I was looking at him as he was saying that, and he walked over to where I was standing. And I said, Fred, were you talking to me? And he said, yes, I've been talking to you for years, Francois, but I believe you finally heard me today. And Francois said it was one of the most meaningful experiences I had ever had. Friends, who is Francois Clemens in your life? Who is the neighbor God is inviting you to love in ways that are deep and lasting and life-changing? Because if we all begin to ask ourselves this question, and not only that, but if we all begin to live out this question, that's where beloved community begins to grow. And imagine what a beautiful day in our church, in our neighborhood, and in our world that might be. So you know I was going to do this, and you're welcome to sing along if you would like. <laughs> so let's make the most of this beautiful day, and since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And so, God, I ask that in these moments you would put the person on our mind and heart to whom we need to be a neighbor. God, convict us of ways that we need to live into your love beyond the warm, fuzzy ways and the ways that are real and hard and sacrificial, but ultimately life-changing. God, we know that we only love because you first loved us. And so if that's the message we need to hear today, may you remind us over and over and over again how incredibly loved we are by you. But then never leave us in that spot and continue to convict us and challenge us and empower us to share that love with our neighbors, with people in this room, with people in our workplaces, with people in our schools, with people who live across the street from us, 
with people who live all around the world. Help us live into this beloved community that you have designed for us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. First John 4 says this, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And then children, listen up. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Any talk about loving others must begin with God's love for us. And maybe you've never responded to the love of God that was ultimately expressed in Christ. That love beckons us to know and to follow in the way of Jesus. Or maybe you are feeling led to become part of our beloved community here at Calvary, where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together in this place. We would love to welcome you into our church family. Maybe you want to continue to reflect on God's love for us and how that changes us. You're welcome to continue writing and drawing your responses and to hang them on a heart around the sanctuary today. There are extra hearts in the back of the room and pins, I believe, scattered all across the room. And so however God leads you to respond in these moments, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. a fire is meant for burning with a bright and warming flame so the church is meant for mission giving glory to God's name not to preach our creeds and customs but to build a bridge of care we join hands across the nations, finding neighbors everywhere. We are learners, we are teachers, we are pilgrims on the way. We are seekers, we are givers, we are vessels made of clay. By our gentle, loving actions, we would show that Christ is light. In our humble, listening spirit, we would live in God's delight. As a green bud in the springtime is a sign of life renewed. We be 
signs of oneness, he pierced those many hued as a rainbow lights the heavens when a mist passed and gone. May our lives reflect the millions of God's new and glorious dawn. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love offered to us this morning and every morning. We present our offerings as a symbol of our desire to give every part of our lives to you. We present these offerings as an expression of our willingness to care for our neighbors rather than just protect and preserve our own. Bless the ministries of this church and make them a blessing to others and a revelation of your kingdom's nearness here and among those we serve. As we give over our possessions, may we both receive your love with gratitude and give it freely to others. Help us to live into the question of who we can be neighbors to and how we can love our neighbors well. Open our eyes to see those you call us to love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if you are a guest with us today, we are especially glad that you're here, and we hope you'll stick around for a few minutes after worship and uh, give us a chance to greet you and get to know you better. Uh, we are glad that you joined us for worship today. Speaking of a guest, someone we haven't seen in a while, is Dennis Tang, who's back with us today. Dennis, where'd you go? Yeah, well, yeah. Dennis has been in China um, the past year. Uh, he's been living in Suzhou, where, where we, Calvary has gone on mission several summers. Um, and is back for the week, and then we'll be heading back on Friday. So we're thrilled that Dennis is here. He did share with me some news that Agnes's mother passed away a few days ago. Agnes's mother is in Hong Kong. And so they'll be trying to figure out when they can get to Hong Kong and plan for her services. She has had Alzheimer's for quite some time. But let's remember Dennis and Agnes and their family in our prayers. I do have some exciting news to share. Uh, you've seen in our announcements that a, a search committee from the personnel team that's comprised of Linda Doolin, Jan Purdy, Doug Weaver, and myself have been interviewing candidates for our office manager position, and we met an outstanding candidate this week. Uh, her name is Tanisia Windermere. She has her bachelor's degree from Baylor in computer science, and she worked in administration in the city of Arlington for about 12 years. And so Tanisia has accepted the position. She started training on Friday and will officially start and continue training with us this week. Tanisia normally worships at Victorious Life Church, but she will be with us in worship next week to meet all of the Calvary family. And so we are excited for you to get to know her and for all the gifts that she will bring to our work together in this place. Don't forget, next Sunday is our taco stack-up lunch. We hope you'll join us for that. Also, we didn't get printed that the men's breakfast is this week, tomorrow, 6.45 a.m. at the Panera by Baylor. And if you're a lady, we hope you'll join us for the Galentine's Day lunch on Wednesday. But you need to RSVP with Jeanette in the office by tomorrow for that. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces.
walk with you in darkness, shining lights along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment, and comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you, and may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just a little love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, just for some, but for Just for some. 